Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from Who Scored and legendary journalist Jonathan Wilson is with us as ever as well. Now, usually we'd preview the Premier League weekend, but because there's been a huge midweek fixture list and in particular one game, we thought we'd do a review straight after Manchester City 4, Arsenal 1. Jonathan, I'll come to you first. I'm a little bit underwhelmed but by this game. I feel like it's been built up for months and months and months. And then by the time it's rolled round, Arsenal have been a little bit in pieces and it's been a little bit of an anti-climax. Am I, am I right in feeling that way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the last three games meant that it, it didn't have the heat it might have had. The fact that Arsenal had dropped the six points in the three games. Yeah, they could have been 11 points clear going to this game. Yeah, if it, if it held the lead against Liverpool, against West Ham. Uh, if they hadn't conceded uh, three goals against Southampton, and if they'd been eleven points clear with, you know, with or, or be having played two games more than City, then suddenly there's real real pressure on City. But as it was, that pressure wasn't really there. City were exceptionally good, I thought tonight, as poor as Arsenal were. Um, I mean, maybe Arsenal weren't even that poor; they were just ordinary. They were okay, and and City, yeah, just were were better than them from from the first seconds. Uh, got the early goal, and it was just a very, very emphatic win. And then, yeah, they're still not top. They're still two points behind. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this will be wrapped up sooner rather than later. You did call it a few weeks ago. You said that you said it was over when Arsenal first drew a game, didn't you? After after the Liverpool game, I think it was. I, I just felt that, that, that people were getting a little bit carried away with that eight-point lead, that it was an eight-point lead having played a game more. Um so that reduces it to five, and then they've got to play. So I haven't played two games more, so that reduces it to. Sorry, reduces it to five, and then they had to play City, which reduces it to two. So as soon as they dropped a point, given City's goal difference was better, City were in control. So, especially the way that they dropped the points at Liverpool, I know people tried to sort of, uh, you know, pretend there was still pretend's the wrong word. People were were keen to see that there was still drama in the title race. And so, they, oh, you know, at least they held on. At least, you know, at least Ramsdale made those saves later on in that game. But you just can't be going around chucking away two goal leads when you're so obviously the underdog as Arsenal were. Yeah, and especially when it becomes a pattern as well, when it ended up happening the, the two games after as well, dro- dropping points. It, it feels like the jeopardy from this tie was removed a little bit before it came round. Now, Ben, as a Spurs fan, I imagine tonight's probably the best night of the season for you. Well, yeah, especially after Sunday's um, debacle at Newcastle. Um, obviously, Spurs fans donned their City shirts and were thrilled. And, you know, I'm overall thrilled when uh, De Bruyne put them ahead after six minutes. And then from there, it was basically cruise control until, obviously, potential nervy setup and Rob Holding decided to turn into prime De Bruyne uh, late on. But, <clears throat> yeah, City held on. Tottenham fans happy. Uh, Arsenal fans obviously disappointed with the result, but it was probably one that they would have expected uh, given the run of form and their recent performance at City. So, Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if Holding could defend like he finished, Jonathan, <laughs> it may have been a different game. I thought after six minutes, I was like, Arsenal are in trouble here and Rob Holding in particular is in trouble here because after six minutes, I was watching him and thinking... He hasn't done a single thing yet that you want your centre-back do to alleviate any nerves. He did not exude calm at all in that first six minutes. And trying to get into a wrestling match with Haaland that early in the game, 
a touch of of naivety and it was kind of a little bit of a throwback to, to last season when he was forced to play against Tottenham and that kind of blew their their top four chances. He always seems to be in, in and around the scene when things start to go wrong for Arsenal at the, the climatic point of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he's just symptomatic of the fact that Arsenal squad isn't deep enough to sustain a title challenge. And, you know, this isn't a surprise to us. This is why nobody backed Arsenal to win the title at the start of the season, because we could look at that squad and you could say, yeah, the first level's really good. They've got two or three decent reserves, but you don't have to go down very far to, to start getting you know, through through the, the, the elite level of that squad. So I, I, I really hope holding isn't scapegoated. Um, but the fact is, if Saliba had, had been there, um, and haven't kept a clean sheet in the last seven games now, they let in 11 goals in the last four. And, and Saliba got bullied by Ivan Tony. So I'm not sure this wouldn't have happened necessarily, particularly tonight with Holland, uh, had Saliba been there. But they'd have had a better chance. And also, it's, it's not even just about personnel, about individuals. Gabriel's a better player when Saliba's there directing him. Yeah. But his positioning on the, the against Southampton on the, the second goal and the Walcott goal. I thought that was really, really odd positioning. And I think had Saliba been there, maybe his position would have been different. And then you think, well, actually, Arsenal have been a little bit unlucky as well that uh, to lose Tomiyasu at the same time as, as Saliba. Um, I'm not sure Tomiyasu would have played in the middle tonight. I think, Do you think Ben White would have shifted across? Ben White moved across and Tomiyasu played it right back. I, I think would have been more likely, uh, particularly given that Arteta would play Tomiyasu against Grealish at the game at the Emirates, that he he was clearly sort of uneasy about Grealish's dribbling ability against Ben White, his capacity to come inside. So I, I wondered whether there was even a, a shout for moving Ben White into the middle and playing Kieran Tierney at right back, which he has. I know, yeah, I know he's left back, but he, he has done that for Scotland. And I think against Grealish, being stronger on the inside foot might not be the worst thing in the world. Um, but you know, the, the, these are. Yeah, they're ad hoc patchwork solutions. If you have a squad that's a title-winning squad, you have the depth. Means you you really don't have to do that, or or you certainly hope you wouldn't have to do it in the in the biggest game of the season. I mean, I think you raise a a valid concern. I don't think it's that holding is is a bad player. I think it's just that you take one person out of that back line, and let's say I don't know Gabriel comes out and someone else comes in at at left centre back. You're disrupting a unit that's been together for the entirety of the, of, of the season, really. And just by pulling one person out of that, it probably naturally makes everyone drop a, a yard or, or five yards deeper. It adds an air of uncertainty that wouldn't be there if you're playing in the unit that's played in week after week. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I don't want to be too sympathetic to holding because I, I don't think he's at the level of the other players. So it, it does make a difference that it is Rob holding. But but you're right. Any any disruption when you've had that that solid back four is going to make a difference. And maybe that's where, you know, we, we've been saying all season, one of the great advantages Arsenal had was that they weren't in the Champions League, that they they could rest players, and, you know, play a, a weaker team in the Europa League. They clearly weren't too bothered by that. Well, maybe if they'd had Champions League football, they, they could have mixed and matched that back four a bit more. They could have got more players, more experience, playing in more different uh, permutations of that against high-level opposition. So I, I think it probably has helped them not playing in the Champions League, but this is where you see the downside of that, that... The, the once that unit is broken up, there are players who aren't familiar with each other having to play in a big game against against high level opponents. Yeah, and Ben Moss, we can question the Arsenal backline. Manchester City sprung a little bit of a surprise in that the kind of box formation that they've made with John Stones pushing forward into midfield didn't really happen. 
from what, what I could see anyway in the game tonight. It was more a, a flat black back four. But Man City are just so adaptable and they can come up with these different plans and, and play in different ways. So Arsenal may have planned all week that Man City would have played that box formation that they've been doing for the last three, four games. And then, you know, Kyle Walker comes in and plays. Maybe if Ake had been fit, that wouldn't have happened, but Ake wasn't fit. And maybe Arsenal have planned for something that, that, that wasn't there, I don't know, because they did look uneasy from, from minute one, Arsenal. Yeah, and I think I think that really... Sorry, Ben. Uh, I think that really... Um, it, it played to City's advantage because they had uh, your Walker's pace against Martinelli. And Kanji did a very good job on, on Saka as well. I mean, they weren't getting huge amounts of service. But I sort of thought before the game... If Laporte comes in at left back, for instance, then maybe Saka can get a run at him. Or uh, if it was Gomez, you know, I, mean, I, th- I thought Gomez was unlikely given he hasn't started the Premier League game yet. But you, know, you look at Saka in that matchup and you think you know, he can get joy there. Akanji played very, very well against him, as we'd seen him play very well on, on the other side against Bayern Munich against Pace. Walker's pace against Martinelli, I think, was a was a really useful thing. So the area where Arsenal might have hurt City was wide. And so I guess City, by not playing Stones and that sort of wing-half role, um, maybe they risk surrendering a bit of control in midfield. But the positive was they they, they neutralised Arsenal's biggest threat, which was, was, was out wide. Yeah, Jonathan's right, isn't he, Ben? Because Saka and Martinelli weren't really in the game. And then if Jesus tries to drop deep like he has done all season... There's a small matter of of Rodri being in, in in the way. Manchester City are just they're just a, one. They're a fascinating side. Two, they're just an amazing side because, on the face of it, you know they they don't really have a left back in their squad. They've been playing Cancelo left back for the for the last few years, and he's done an excellent job there. He goes, and they still just find Pep just finds ways around these things all, all the time, and just manages to make them more complete and make them better. Yeah, I think the fact that Ake has that versatility and he can play left back and. Uh, is able to play centre-back meant that the Cancelo exit kind of forced Pep into do that three-man back line. Um, but, I mean, obviously without him tonight, Akanji did do a really good job at left-back. Um, and City, when they did have the ball, kind of pushed Walker a bit further up into that central midfield role to join Rodri and Gundogan in the midfield. You saw Akanji, uh, Diaz and Stones move across slightly when they did have the ball. Um, that was when they weren't going direct and essentially playing 4-2-4. Uh, getting the ball along to Haaland and then he just knocked on to De Bruyne. Um, so, I mean, it's just, this is what Pep Guardiola is paid to do and this is why he's you know, revered as one of the best in the in the job. Uh, best best in the game, sorry. Um, and, you know, credit to him and as Jonathan, he prays on Akanji, it's hard not to tonight because he did a superb job at left-back. I mean, collectively from Arsenal, Jonathan, it wasn't brilliant. I, I don't know if you're going to agree with me here, but a few months ago, I was watching Thomas party and, and thinking he was the complete midfielder in the, in there for Arsenal. But he just seems to have slowed down over over the last few games. Not really been that that destroyer. He's not been he's not been picking up the loose balls, winning the battles in the middle of the park, and he just looks a, cu- a couple of yards slower. Party. So I feel like Arsenal's slow down in form has coincided with him, who I would have said a few months ago was their most important player. He just didn't look at it tonight to me. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's been true the last three or four weeks. I like guess form has yeah. dipped. Which happens in, in in the course of a season. Uh, I wonder as well tonight. I mean, I th- yeah. For instance, the first goal, he shouldn't be letting De Bruyne run off him like that. Uh, yeah, he he must know that's a risk when there's a high ball play towards Holland that's going to be a yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be helped on to to a runner. 
and his job is to track that runner. So, you know, I, I think that's I don't know, evidence of a, a physical decline or a mental decline. I, I don't know, but he's, he's not quite there. I do wonder, though, tonight whether part of his problem in dealing with, with De Bruyne's runs and, and, and with, with Holland dropping deep was that Xhaka wasn't quite on it tonight either, which I think is understandable given the illness he's had. I think probably Xhaka wasn't, yeah, wasn't anywhere near fully fit and maybe had it not been City, had the, had the had it not been a, a game that Arsenal had to win really to have to, to, to continue to have a chance of a title, he, he maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have started. So you're you're, you're absolutely right about Partey. I, I I but I do wonder whether the Xhaka situation maybe didn't help him tonight. I mean, I'm completely going to go against everything I've just said about about the defence of Arsenal. But could that would there not a case for Jorginho playing in this game, Jonathan? Well, ahead of uh, ahead, ahead of Xhaka. ahead of either either really, but the, probably not Partey, but 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 because of Xhaka's illness, Jorginho's played in a lot of big games in the past. It just got that exudes a little bit of calm on on the ball that didn't really feel like it was there for Arsenal. It's easy to say all these things with hindsight. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a case for that. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I guess we, we've we've praised Arsenal signings generally this season. The, the player who hasn't really done what his price tag suggests he should have done is, is Fabio Vieira, who I thought was really poor against Southampton. I, I, I guess it was never going to be a night for him tonight anyway, but I think they, yeah, the start of the season, they'd have liked to think that was an option in, you know, it, were Xhaka were not fully fit, were, were, did he, if he needed to be replaced. But Jorginho and, and Party together at the back of midfield, in that respect, you'd say, yeah, that, that, that maybe would have been more sensible. Um, not just because positionally it would have given an extra blocker in there for for De Bruyne's runs, but also, you know, as you say, the, there's been a a panickiness about Arsenal. Well, since since since, since the Liverpool fight back began, uh, I think you've even seen Odegaard's passings gone awry. I th- you know, I, I thought there was a sort of twenty minute, half an hour spell in the middle of a game against Southampton when he was really poor. Um, so, so, yeah, maybe Jorginho's calm just to sort of give him a chance to to hold possession a bit more, not not to be quite so flustered. But having said that, I think I think Arsenal did did have more of the ball, didn't they? They did have um, at one stage. More. I was surprised when I saw the statistics. It was well, early on. It was it was about yeah. two thirds. I think even by the end, I think it was still slightly more than half. So, but I mean, I guess yeah, the second half was a was a essentially it was a third goal that had gone in. The sort of twenty five minutes when nothing happened, where both teams seemed quite happy to. Just sort of let let the clock run down, but but yeah, I I I think, I think with hindsight, maybe that would have been a good idea. Yeah, kind of a role reversal for Haaland and De Bruyne tonight, Ben. In that Haaland was the one that making the goals for for De Bruyne. When it comes to these these crucial times for Man City, when 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 the running's there and you need to keep churning out results season after season, De Bruyne just continues to deliver. Yeah, and that's why many sort of suggest that he is the best to grace the Premier League. Um, it was, as I mentioned, it, City essentially played a four-two-four at times when they had the ball, and uh, De Bruyne was making those runs beyond Haaland, and he was pushed so high up towards Haaland, he thought like they're going to get over in the midfield here, and they just find a way to bypass it. Haaland would knock it onto De Bruyne, he'd make those runs in beyond, and that's how the first game, goal came about, and they almost scored a second uh, midway through the first half uh, through that exact same uh, approach. Um, it was just. And another one of those instances where Guardiola's spotted a weakness in the squad. Um, 
I mean, it caught Party out numerous times. He didn't know whether to track Haaland dropping deeper or to sit with De Bruyne and making those runs in beyond, which, you know, it, it sort of stems back to what Jonathan mentioned about the physical or mental decline of Party this season, whether it's kind of such a season that's taken the, you know, a lot out of him uh, physically and mentally. But, you know, it it's just this versatility that comes from playing under Pep Guardiola and De Bruyne sort of epitomises that. Uh, tactical flexibility that he affords the team in the final third. Yeah, I was trolling social media when the first goal went in, Jonathan. There was a few people asking questions of, of Ramsdale. Do you think he should have done better with the first goal? Ah, possibly, but it, it happened very quickly. I think De Bruyne hit the shot probably slightly earlier than than he was anticipating. It Couldn't was very set. well placed. Was it pretty crisply? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it never looks good when a keeper's beaten from outside the box. Buy a you know, shot that's not an absolute rocket, but I think it's just a very good finish. I, I, th- I think there was at least two or three players who you'd you'd point the finger at on that goal before Ramsdale. I, I think to blame Ramsdale for that would be would be pretty harsh. And in fairness, he you know it wasn't as if in that first half in particular he wasn't making saves. He seemed to have that p- persistent battle with Haaland, especially for the first hour of the game. And it was unusual for for Haaland. His, his finishing wasn't as as laser like as, as it has been all the way throughout the season. And in the end, I mean, it turned out that all he had to do was take his his headband off or whatever it was to to, to score his goal. But Ramsdale, he was too busy for a game of that magnitude, wasn't he? And again, I think this just shows the drop off in Arsenal in recent weeks. Oh, I mean, it was it, it could easily have been four 0 by half time, and that and it had it been four 0 at half time, we wouldn't have been saying, oh, every shot it hit." flew in, you'd have been thinking that's that's actually a pretty fair reflection of the game. Um, but I, I don't think Arsenal, I mean, you, you may have the, the actual stats for this, Ben, but the, the only sort of shot I remember Arsenal having in that first half was that that party chance, I don't know, 41, 42 minutes, something like that, when um, the ball was sort of rolled to him just outside the box and he, he tried to just sort of bend it in as he, uh, was it against Tottenham? He scored that goal earlier in the season. He, um, and yeah, it, you know, he, he just didn't quite get enough whip on it and it went wide but yeah 40 minutes without having a shot while the keepers made three or four really good saves that's yeah that that shows how under the cost they were yeah and I mean kind of the, the two worst things you can do really in football Ben you can see an early goal which probably throws out the plan that you, you've had all week and then right on half time in stoppage time you can see it off a, off a set piece so from Arsenal's point of view although City were by far the most dominant team the timing of the two goals will be a frustration to Arteta and the fact that the second was a set piece. Yeah, especially as Arsenal, despite going behind so early on, did show sort of glimpses that they were coming back into the game. As Jonathan mentioned, the party effort that was, uh, you know, it, it did go wide, but it showed that they could create those chances. Um, obviously, City or Arsenal will uh, chastise VAR for that. Um, initially, it looks like... He's on side at the end of the day. He is, but initially you think he's, he's so far offside, you can tell, and then they draw the lines. You think, well, how, like, I don't, I didn't understand how. There's just technology and, you know, that's why it's there to make these big calls. Um, but yeah, it completely changes the dynamic of um, Arteta's half-time team talk. You think, well, we have, we are behind. We are still in it, though, because of our goalkeeper, which isn't great, but we're still in the game. And to then concede a second at the second stroke of half time really throws a spanner in the works for what he's going to do uh, at, the, at the break. Yeah, and for, for those of you who regularly watch the the Edge of the Box podcast, and and welcome by the way to, to those that don't usually obviously this live's the, the first time we're doing this kind of thing. But Jonathan, a few good shouts on our 
our podcast recently for one of the first times ever one of them has, has come from me since i singled out john stones have been the best center back in europe turning to one of the best goal scoring center backs in europe two goals now since i said that yeah, I mean, if he's even a centre back, maybe he's a right back, maybe he's a centre back. This evening, wasn't it? Was a centre back this evening, and, he, and he, he has, you're right, he has been excellent. But I mean, just on the set plays, but mainly because I just don't want to talk about you being right. But it doesn't the, happen often. The you know, Arsenal um, hadn't conceded a goal from a cross set play this season mm. until uh, Tarkovsky header for Everton, which I think was last weekend of January. Since when they conceded four more in the league. That I, th- I think actually it's probably the Brentford game, which was that the week before the Everton game. I think when people suddenly realised actually Ramsdale's not that good on crosses. You, you put the ball on top of him, he's he's not great. And so I mean I know it wasn't an insinger tonight, but that has become a problem for Arsenal is set plays. And I think it's something conversely that that yeah, you wouldn't necessarily think of the Guardiola team being particularly good from from set plays this season. Uh, I think I think that was was that the fifth goal from a cross set play tonight. In the league, and you think you know, Holland's five goals against Leipzig, four of them stem from corners. So, partly it is Holland's obviously is obviously big, and that really helps them set plays. But I suspect they've they've actually worked on that as well. That they've realised that set plays are you know it's a it's an easy way to get an advantage, and you know when things have gone wrong for City in the past, which has not been very often. The, the tendency has been for them just to miss chances for them not to convert domination into goals. Well, if if set plays are a threat for you, then A, obviously that, that enhances your, your, your potency, but also it makes opponents wary of conceding corners and free kicks, and then you get more chances of open play as well. So it, it, it seems to me this season that they, the City really have stepped up on set plays. They do look a lot more dangerous than they have in the past. And so it, it's... It, you know, it wasn't a surprise to me tonight that that City scored from a from a from a well from a free kick as it turned out, but from a, from a corner or a, or a cross free kick. And I don't have the Arsenal player heights in front of me, but is this again a case of you know you've taken out Saliba? I imagine he's their their tallest player, Saliba. Yeah, you've well, certainly their best head of the ball, isn't he? Yeah, so it's going to make them more vulnerable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I know absolutely. I, I, that's clearly part of it. But, but I mean, they, if you think of how Tony dominated Saliba in that Brentford game, yeah, it, it, it's not that it wasn't an issue when Saliba was there. It's just it's mm. got worse when he's not there. Yeah, so you get to half time. It's it, it's two nil. And Ben, were you surprised Arsenal didn't make any changes at half time? Because again, it kind of just looked like he sent out the same the team to go, to go again but there was a, I didn't even feel like there was a subtle change to anything that Arsenal were doing it was more, more like hopefully we get the next goal I'll, I'll send us out and try and do the same thing again that we did in, in the first half but if it hasn't worked in the first half against the machine that is Man City maybe they could have done with done with some changes Yeah I think Arteta might have seen again as they sort of forged a couple of half chances that if they keep keep at it maybe one will fall their way Um Again, that Stones goal on the stroke of half time probably uh, swayed. I mean, it should have swayed Arteta's decision that maybe a more experienced manager would have tinkered accordingly. But as you said, they they went out in the same same way in the second half, and I'm surprised he didn't make a half time change. Perhaps bring perhaps bring Jorginho on to get some more control. Um, I saw sort of mentioned on Twitter maybe take off uh, holding for Jorginho, put party back to right back and right centre back. Um, just to you know, have that additional control, that ball 
that uh, tempo-setting midfielder in there alongside Xhaka and uh, Erdegaard just to help uh, control things in the middle of the park. But, you know, in a game of this magnitude, to go out and essentially put in the same system and same setup, I mean, City must have been buzzing when there were no changes made at half-time by Arsenal. Because at the start of the game, I can't remember if they were 1-0 down at this point or not. Martinelli made a, a run right away across from the, from the left-hand side and pop, popped up in an area you wouldn't really expect him kind of centrally, but more to the to the right of the of the pitch. So I thought, OK, maybe Arsenal do have a plan here, but I'm genuinely racking my brains. I know they scored. I don't remember Edison making a save in that whole game. I'm, is that is that right? I, I genuinely can't remember him making a save. Yeah, I mean, certainly not a meaningful save. I think the thing that was still at 0-0 when, when Martinelli made that run because yeah, you know, I'm talking about. Yeah, because I remember thinking, oh, 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 is this just sort of the way it happens to have worked, or is, or is this the plan? Um, and I think it was just the way it, it happened to have sort of fallen. And it, to be honest, if it had been a plan, it would have been pretty strange, given that yeah, you'd have thought Arsenal's wide players running at their fullbacks was where they might have got joy. Um, and I, 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 the fact that they didn't get opportunities from wide areas. I'm not even sure necessarily that's because Martinelli and Saka played badly. So they didn't get the ball. And that was the thing that was so impressive about City in the first half. It's not just the, you know, how, how dangerous they looked when they got the ball. It was their press was so good. When there were long spells of that first half where Arsenal just couldn't get the ball out, out of their half, which is probably why they, you know, they had the, the, the possession stats were so much in Arsenal's favour. Um, it was that, that moment, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes in, when Arsenal must have passed the ball, I don't know, a dozen or 15 times, in their own half, always looking nervous, always going backwards. And in the end, Gabriel just slices it out for throwing. And there was just, there was no space. There were no options there. And so they end up with Ramsdale having to take goal kicks long, but they weren't even winning those balls because you're hitting them up at Gabriel Jesus, who is not that type of forward. And and so, so I, I think that's where, that's where Guardiola sides, when they're good, that's where they're really good. That's where they're, they're different to other good teams is they're pressing when it's on song is is so stifling. Um and then that that obviously facilitates their own maintenance of possession. Yeah, I mean Saka and Martinelli were shut down so quickly by, by the fullbacks and the and the press that they converge on them so fast that even if they did pick up the ball, I mean, Arsenal felt quite turgid with the way they were building up anyway. It's very, very slow, but that probably does come down to, to the way Manchester City player. Well, I, and the lack of confidence caused by the last three games. I mean, it's the two things working together that, yeah. that City were able to exploit that lack of confidence. And I think that's one of the things that um, that we, we sort of, we, we've sort of stopped talking about in managers. It, you know, it was, it was, I think it was a thing that, that was talked about sort of 20, 25 years ago of managers who sort of sensed the mood of a game and sensed when to step it up or sense when to break up the patterns. And you know, I think we've, as we've gone down the statistical route, we've sort of lost a bit of a, the psychology of a game. I think Guardiola would have seen that Arsenal are, Arsenal are vulnerable. They've, they've had three really bad games in a row where there's been periods in all those games where even their best players were struggling to complete simple passes, put pressure on them because they're fragile and they did and Arsenal broke. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting comments in the in the live chat. One that's just come in has come from Scared. I'm not sure I've said that right at all. Sam Trossard and Jorginho should have started for Jesus and Party. We've already discussed the, the Jorginho piece, Jonathan. But on um, on Trossard, things were going well. 
when 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 he was when when he was in the team. And I know Jesus has come back and, and scored a couple of goals, but arguably they've taken out one of their form players to accommodate Jesus back back in the side, and things haven't gone great since that happened. Yeah, no, I think that's a totally fair point. Uh, yeah, I can see um, you want to play Jesus at City. You sort of think, um, yeah, narrative demands that he will do something in that game. But on form, I agree with you. Trossard's playing better. Um, and I, I think that the fact that he's been, been relegated to the bench is is an oddity that you know, we, we've, we've talked about Arsenal's squad being too slim. And yet they they they've got this glut of forwards they can't they can't play them all. So whether this was the game to leave Jesus out, I don't know because Jesus's pressing is is so good. But I think certainly the way he's just sort of come back in and oh well Jesus fits he has to play. Uh, I think that isn't particularly fair on Trossard, and I don't think it's been particularly helpful for the for the team. And David Styles has said in the, in the comments as well. Many of the Arsenal players seem to lose their head during and and after the game, but they looked beaten from the from the first minute tonight. And once that third goal goes in, Ben, it is it is game over if if it wasn't already. Do you, do you agree with that comment from from David? It felt like to me that Arsenal were kind of get kind of trying to create a rivalry tonight with Man City. It was almost as if the Man City players just weren't having it and kind of saying we're 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 a level above you. There's no rivalry here. We're we're going to win the league. We're going to win this game as well. Yeah, and that's why City are the best in the league. Um, yeah, they're not top, but you know, two points of Arsenal, two games in hand, and the far superior goal difference that's increased by plus you know six tonight after. Uh, City's easy win. Um, that's why City are going to probably win the league because they just have this knowledge and experience of <clears throat> grinding teams down. Um, you know, not in terms of just chasing points, but psychologically too. Like Arsenal are going to have seen that they, you know, throw away two goal lead at Liverpool and then City go and win. Um, they throw away two goal lead against uh, against West Ham and City win, City have won again. They throw they you know they throw one down at home against Saints. Um, and yeah, they came back to draw three all, but City didn't even need to play. And Arsenal were thinking, well, you know, I've got this rampant City machine chasing me down um, and they don't have that experience to get them over the line. I mean, Jesus and Zinchenko signed. They've got this that whole knowledge of getting a team over the line when it matters most. But that's two players, you know, a squad of core squad of about 16, 18 players. Um, City are just when they're rampant and they want to catch you down, they will catch you. Is that where you think Arsenal have fallen down, Jonathan? Because even Zinchenko and Jesus, yes, they've got the experience of being involved in those title races and getting over the line. They've probably not got the experience of being the main players at a team trying trying to do that. Do you think that's one of the reasons Arsenal have fell down in the end this season? Uh, possibly, but fundamentally the squad's not deep enough. It's not good enough. Um, I mean, the lack of experience doesn't help, but you know, they, they're probably three or four top-class players short of being a side who could challenge regularly for the... For the title, um, and and so yeah, we we knew all the way through the season. As soon as they got a couple of injuries, suspensions, that they were likely to dip away because we'd seen that that yeah, you'd see the squads not not as deep as title winning squads need to be. So yeah, I, I think the the experience of winning titles is a. I, I'm never 100 percent convinced that 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 makes that much difference anyway. I think it's a it's an easy thing to say in retrospect to explain what's happened but in this case I just don't think it's anywhere near as relevant as the players and and no. the fact they just don't have enough good ones 
No, I'm looking back to, to January, you know, George Aino and Trossard were, I think they were, especially Trossard, turned, you would say he's a good signing because I think he scored important goals at various points in the, in the season. Well, and you'd certainly rather have him for Mudrick, than, than Mudrick for 50 yeah, million quid less. 100%, 100%. 100%. So they did that well, but you know, you're looking at, I'm going to completely get his name wrong here, the, the, the lad they signed at centre-back, is it Kikior? Is that how you say, how you say his name? I've, I don't know how to say his name, so I've never seen him play. He's barely come oh, on K- the pitch. the, the, the Polish... That's a, so he you know, came in. He came in for Spezia, was it? He was at. Yeah, but they spent a hell, they spent a fair amount of, of money mm. on him. And you you know when you're spending that amount of, of of money on someone, you know was he the right type of centre back, for example, for them to be spending money on? When you look at what has ended up happening with Saliba, so di- in January, it's difficult to say whether they actually did what they needed to or not. Because I think Trossard has been a success. George now I feel like he hasn't played. That, that much he obviously was involved in an important goal against, against Villa at Villa Park at, at the time. You know, the, did they do enough in January considering the position they were in? Well, I mean, what you would say about the Kivior signing is they identified a, a weakness in the squad. And the truth is, none of us have seen Kivior play enough to have any no. idea what's going on there. Whether Some of us can't even say his name. I mean, I may be saying it wrongly. I don't no, know. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it may be that. He, next season he looks an exceptional player and you think that was very very steep bit of business but you, you, it, it looks odd in retrospect that, that they, they they I mean he's a Poland nationally he has played yeah. a dozen times a Poland something like that you know it's, it's, it's not that he's got one or two caps he's got some and he's young um, but, but as I say I've got no idea what sort of player he is because we've never seen him yeah, I think the only time I've seen him play was when he came on late at Liverpool in the midst of that crisis and you know, everyone was panicking and he looked pretty panicky but then so did everybody else so I wouldn't necessarily judge him on that um, but, but I, I guess if you're an Arsenal director you've got to look longer term so you've, you've brought in Trosso brought in Jorginho who are very experienced players could you have found an experienced centre-back for 15, 20, 25 million well possibly but at the same time, you can't just sort of spend 40, 50 million on players who you've probably only got yeah, two or three years left in them. Um, even if this is a, a, I don't want to say it's a one-off chance to win the title, but it's a better chance to win the title than I think they're going to have next season or the season after that or the season after that. So maybe maybe they should have gambled on somebody who, who's a bit more of a known quantity. But until we see Kivio, until we know why he's not playing, uh, you know, is is he another, you know, is he a Fabio Vieira or is, is there something else going on? I, I, I don't know. And Fabio well, Vieira I, may come good. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's also young and I don't want to sort of, again, criticise a player I feel like I haven't really seen an enormous amount of to, to know, know what's going on. I guess by and large, in the last few transfer windows, I think Edu and his transfer team, they've got, they've got credit in the bank really, haven't they? Because... Yeah, you know, they've they have galvanised Arsenal, and Arsenal are a completely different beast to what they've been over over the last few years. That you wouldn't have said in the last maybe five six years, Arsenal are heading in the right direction. I think now you would, and even the fact that they'll qualify for the Champions League this season, I think, is a maybe a slight acceleration on where maybe people thought they were going to be. I'd, none of us put them in the in in the top four at the start of the season when we were predicting what what was going to happen. Nobody said nobody really said Arsenal. We're, we're going to get top four, and they're going, they're going to be in the Champions League next season, which will open up a, a new kind of market for, for bringing players in as well. And like I say, they've got credit in the bank from, from the last two transfer windows. It's just maybe they just needed that one more, that one more bit of experience. They kind of got a little bit of experience in attack, bought some experience in the midfield as well in, in January. But they 
didn't bring in the experience in, in the defence. And yeah, so if Salabra had stayed fit, things things might have been different. But it just, just does feel like the drop off from him to Holding has been huge. Ben, we've already mentioned Holding finish like De Bruyne to kind of make a consolation goal for, for Arsenal sweeping sweeping that cross home from Trossard again, another assist for, for Trossard. But it hadn't really been Haaland's night, but it wouldn't be a Man City game without him scoring. As I say, he unleashed his hair and then he, he unleashed a, an easy finish at the end of the game to, to get his customary goal. Yeah, and, you know, I think he's one-off getting the... I think he's got 49 uh, competitive goals for City this season, which is a remarkable Crazy. achievement. Even, like, for a striker of his calibre in a team of cities, you know, with the support support act behind him, um, it's an incredible feat by him. But as you say, it wouldn't feel like a, a routine home win um, without Harlan getting on the score sheet. Uh, but it just felt like roles reversed tonight, especially in the first um, beginning of the... Uh, well, especially in the first half when Haaland was the one turn provider for De Bruyne. But, you know, it got Arsenal all out of sync. It worked. Uh, City won 4-1 and Haaland got on the score sheet. So, what's to complain about? I mean, recent weeks, Jonathan, Haaland has... He's all, I mean, he's got, his goal output has obviously been ridiculous the, the entirety of the season. He's chipped in with a fair few assists, it feels like, like recently. He's almost showing a different kind of facet to his to his game now as the season comes to an end. Yeah, I, th- I think Guardiola's been trying to get him to drop a bit deeper f- pretty much all season. I, mean, I, I remember the, the Manchester derby, there was um, the game at Old Trafford when, when United won. And there was a moment in the second half of that game, I, th- I think when City was still 1-0 up, when there was a, a, a break for an injury and, and Guardiola was, was on the pitch screaming at Holland, And and the, the gesture is, you know, he's sort of doing that as if to say, you know, drop off, you know, go as a false nine. Uh, yeah, this is me trying to read it from behind. From the ex- un- un- unreal body language and trans- translation from you. Absolutely incredible. I don't oh, know. Thank you very means. much. Um, so, and, and, you know, I remember sort of just sort of looking at him and said, what are you talking about? No, I'll just stay over here and score goals. Was, again, reading his body language without even any hand gestures. Um, but reading, you know, reading his face. Uh, but, uh, you know, he has definitely dropped deeper uh, you know, the last month or so. And I think that's been one of the real fascinations of this season that the first first half of it certainly up to the World Cup maybe even slightly beyond I think there was a slight disconnect between the way Holland wanted to play and the way that Guardiola wanted to play that you know, Guardiola's football's previously been all about control uh, it's been about getting as many midfielders there as possible having a centre forward dropping back in the midfield pass, 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 pass um, in fact, I, th- I think I'm right in saying that that game at Old Trafford um, I think the previous season the, the City player with the fewest number of touches had had 73 or 70-something. And Holland in that game had, had 20-odd. And so even, even in that game, uh, which was you know, was post-World Cup, um, you're sort of thinking, yeah, that these, these two things don't gel. But what, what we've seen over the last sort of six weeks, two months, is that the, those that, that, that sort of friction has been creative and they have found another way of playing and they you know, the, the way they played against Bayern the way they played tonight they were quite happy to play without the ball and they they can hurt you by going direct which has never been a, 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 a or very rarely been a trait of Guardiola teams before they, they've always had to have 67% possession they've always seemed to have had to have you know, to be certain of winning a game they would have to have 20-25 chances they never have fewer chances than the opposition and yet they often didn't win those games um, or, or you know, more often than you might think wouldn't win those games, but now you know they they can 
they can create chances without the ball. They 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 don't feel flustered when they don't have the ball. Um, I think it was Bernardo Silva talking about that last week, saying that you know we we used to feel very anxious if we didn't control possession, but now it doesn't doesn't matter because we know we can go go more direct. We know what we're doing with that, and I think that's that. It's, that's, Holland clearly is the, is the major part of that, but I think Grealish as well has really benefited from that, and that is then partly uh, to do with Cancelo leaving. I think Grealish should look more. Convincing without the fullback coming inside him. Yeah. So going to that sort of, you know, the sort of Tony Pool. <laughs> sorry, excuse me, the Tony <laughs> Tony Pula style back four of four centre backs. It has added an element of Pulis. It has added that slightly more direct element. And so you then think, well, how do you play in City? You, you can't just sort of think, well, let them have sterile possession because they they can hurt you in other ways as well. So. I, I I think they they should do the treble this season. I'd be surprised now if they didn't do the treble. I mean, one of the last things I was expecting to hear tonight was Pep's tactics being compared to Pulis. That I, I wouldn't have bet on that on that happening <laughs> tonight. What you said is it is kind of true. It's very different. Uh, it is. It's, it's it's very different. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly being slightly facetious saying that, but yeah, you know, I think well, there's something really interesting has happened that. The last sort of 30 years, maybe even more than 30 years, the last 60 years, as soon as we got back fours, so back four becomes in the mainstream sort of 1958 World Cup. That's when it spreads from Brazil to Europe. It's become mainstream in England by so 62, 63-ish. So before Conte's Chelsea, the last last team to win the league in England with a back three was Harry Catterick's Everton, which... Uh, I'm going to say with 62-3. Is that, is that right? I don't know what you're asking. Um, it's around about that. How old do you think so, I am? 12, 13? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, back fours, fullbacks then could push forward to create different angles of attack. That's one of the reasons why it's so successful. And from that moment, from the early 60s, you start to get increasingly attacking fullbacks. You, you, you get Jacinto Facchetti with, with Inter in Italy. You, you get Silvio Massolini with, with Boca in Argentina. You get Nilton Santos with, with Brazil. Um, and and you know, as each decade goes by, the fullback gets more and more attacking. And until we get the Liverpool of uh, Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson, where, the, the, you know, was it, it was 25 assists between them the season at Liverpool in the league? And you sort of think, well, where where do you go next? They can't they can't become any more attacking. And Guardiola's totally flipped on his head. He goes, no, we'll we'll just sit in two centre backs there, and one of them might drift in the midfield. But we don't need our fullbacks to overlap anymore. As it's almost like they've the fullbacks have gone all the way up to the end of the pitch, and they just sort of come around the other side again. Now it's like going around the North Pole, and suddenly you're back where you started. Lovely, great analogy, and great. I mean, you were taking full advantage of us being live tonight by knowing that you're you're nineteen. It's not going to get cut. Is it? But yes, that's, that's a lovely, lovely way to, to finish this this live broadcast. And I guess the the scary thing for the rest of the Premier League is that usually Man City signings get better in their second season. So Haaland playing that Ricardo Fuller role is is going to get even, <laughs> even better next season, isn't it? I think whilst our internet connections have remained stable, I think I'm going to call it quits tonight. Well, quit whilst we're ahead. So thanks to people that have joined us live and thanks to those that will go on and watch the video as well. If you have enjoyed the podcast, the late night podcast, then please subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on. We'll be back with Edge of the Box next week. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Jonathan as well. Stay safe.